You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Just like that, the second hour is here. John McClain will join us coming up in about 20 minutes. Cynthia Freeland in an hour, and then Shane Beamer, head coach of the South Carolina Gamecocks. Looking forward to another visit with him. Always great to catch up with Coach. Chad, Derek Carr, free agent. Social media is uh, everyone's guessing. My, my guess on the team is Carolina because of the history of Tepper going after veteran QBs and not rookies. Uh... Frank Reich, Derek Carr, to me, that does, they're very similar. I think they'll mesh well together. Mindset-wise, I'm saying both are nice guys. I, I'm going to go with the team that he was linked to first and all those, the Saints. I think the Saints roster is the best situation for him to go win with Kamara and with their defense. Yeah. Um, I think, if, if, to me, if I'm Derek Carr and I'm like, you know, I want to stick it to the Raiders. I'm not going to Carolina right now. I'm, I, I would go to the Saints. Not, not that the Carolina roster is terrible, but that just seems like a better situation. I do, I do buy a little bit that maybe the Panthers will be more motivated to go that route. Aggressive. I also don't think – I think the Panthers are just sort of a prisoner of what their options are. But the reason they've gone after the veteran guy, the only one that you could really argue is this is a blockbuster – franchise guy, veteran they've gone after so far as Deshaun Watson. The other ones, I think, are just out of necessity. They got the best of a bad market. Sam Darnold, Baker Mayfield, all due respect to Derek Carr, that would be the same thing. He would sort of be the best of a, of a not great free agent market. This if, year? If you go big, you go Aaron Rodgers. Well, he's not going to be a free agent. I know. I'm saying if you wanted to go big, you go trade for Aaron Rodgers. I'm saying... Derek Carr, to me, is the best of not a great free agent market of quarterbacks right now. Unless you could get some type of guarantee that he's playing more than one year, which that has some of the general managers spooked on Rodgers and trading for him. You're going to trade for his contract, and you're going to get one year in whatever you're going to give up to get him? That's the I, other I, thing. Again, I, that's why I continue to argue I think they're going to trade up. I think they're going to be the one to make the splash and go get desperate and trade up for a rookie. David Tepper doesn't want a short, quick thing. I think he, that's just what he had available to him, other than going for Deshaun Watson, which would have been a more long-term solution for a franchise quarterback. Hit us up with your thoughts at Outkick 360. They've got uh, Matt Corral coming back, but that's it, uh, off of his injury. Um, so Mike Bray announces he's retiring this season. Now he's not retiring. What I mean, what a turn there based on our assumption that, oh, he, he realizes the timing is right and he's stepping away from the, the program that he spent you know, decades with and had a ton of success with. Now he's not doing that. It's odd because it's almost like he's being forced out. And, but if you're being forced out, you just say, you know, I'm, I'm resigning when the season's over, if you're mad about it. Yeah, so you don't say you're retiring. 
I think that his mind just changed. I think probably when initially he got the idea that I might not be wanted here anymore, his heart probably, when you hear that when you've been somewhere so long, was then I'll just retire. You know, I've been here so it's probably time I'll step down and not do it. And then as he continues to coach this team, he probably builds up a little animosity and starts thinking, yeah, I'm not done yet. You know, I'm not going to call it a retirement. I'll step away. It's time now to step away from Notre Dame, but I want to go do something else after this. So are there, are there openings? It seems like his mind just changed over the course of all this. Are there about to be a, uh, one a one big opening that would change his mind based on a connection? I, that, Again, like, that I don't know, but also Mike Bray's done a good job, but it's not been that great in terms of in, getting to the NCAA tournament. I, I look at a job like Notre Dame and I think, how often are you getting to the tournament? Sure. I'm not expecting you know big NCAA runs or anything like that, but if you're consistently 75% of the time getting to the tournament at a job, that's a really you're doing a really good job at a place like Notre Dame. His track record's not that. And in the last eight or nine years, I know we've looked this up before, it's really not Elite that Elite eight good. was 2015-2016. Yeah. Um, he's been to the NCAA tournament 13 times in 23 years. Not bad, right? I mean, He's that's, the all-time winningest coach there. Yeah, I mean, that's why he's, he passed Digger Phelps. Um, th- that's why he kept his job for so long. But my point is, if you're a big opening, I don't know that Mike Bray is the hire. Now, the, the flip side argument of that is, he's kind of like Rick Barnes when Tennessee hired him. You know, ran out, of, ran out the clock. Which is great, though. At Texas and just decided to step away yeah. and then went somewhere else. That's, that's, yes, that's a positive sales point for Mike Bray. If someone were to hire him and he was... You know, what Rick Barnes has done at Tennessee for someone else, that's a great job and a great hire. But no one was doing backflips when Tennessee hired Rick Barnes, right? It's like, oh, he's been steady, pretty good coach. We'll see how it goes. Uh, You know, how committed is he right now at this point in his career? There's going to be the same questions about Mike Bray if he goes somewhere else. I just think things changed over the course of the last month or so when he announced that he was going to retire to now – no, I want to coach. You know what? Again. I'm not going to leave. Just yeah, I'm not leaving. I'm not going to play the good guy. Yeah, or just you know, you hear something, and you're just like, man, I've done this so long. Screw it, I'll retire. You know, when when someone, hey, coach, it may be time for you to step down at the end of the year. Don't worry about it. Save it. I'll retire. Could be your first. I'm just thinking about mm-hmm. myself here. That would be the emotional reaction if you've done something for so long. But then when you keep doing it, you're around a team, and you discover, you know, uh, I'm pretty healthy. I think I can keep doing this. I don't want to retire. I want to see what my options are at the end of the year. I can understand him changing his mind on that. I can't wait for the landing spot. And the, by the way, the quote on stadium was, I'm not done coaching, that's for sure. So does that, does that mean anything other than uh, you know whatever he has coming up through the uh, family members or something? Yeah, I, I don't know. The, he has kids that are playing too, so he may coach them. I, I don't... Look... Maybe he's going to coach. Uh, if you're Bronny. giving, if you're giving a quote to a, you know, a reporter, Team up with LeBron, and I saw Jeff Goodman tweet this also. But if you're giving a report to um, Stadium, if you're giving a quote to Stadium, and you say I'm not done coaching, you're going back to college coaching. That's a real switcheroo. If you decide to coach your grandson's oh. eight year old team, yeah. Or, I mean, or if you're saying, like, I'm not yeah, done coaching like, this for sure. Like, but I want to clarify. The fact he said, it. I'm not retiring. Yeah. You know, if I'm Mike Bray, I'm saying, 
I'm retiring from college coaching, but I, basketball is still in my blood. I got a grandkid that I'm going to coach, you know, or something like that. I'll be around the game in some capacity. That that's different. I, I think he's meaning he's coaching in college again. That Chad, he's going to get another opportunity. We've seen poor officiating at every level, not just in hoops, but SEC football, a Big Ten football, college football playoff, Super Bowl, championship weekend. Do you like it when organizations come out and admit fault and say, okay, here's what should have happened, but it didn't happen? Or do you like it when they just release the statement and say, you know what, um, this coach has been – we've told this coach to uh, tamper, uh, tamp it down a bit because if we're, we're done hearing all the, you know, you do it again, you're going to get fined type thing. And then you don't hear anything from the officials. I like what the ACC did recently, uh, saying that they got it wrong with Duke and Virginia. With how, I, how they allocated like the free it, throws and then took it back. I like it better than the alternative of saying something that no one believes that saw what happened. I, I hate when a go, oh, when then, a governing body oh, comes out. Oh, this is great. It's and, never been you know, better. You know, pees on my leg and tell me it's raining outside. Yeah. That, that's what I don't like. Don't, I'm not an idiot. You know, we, we saw the play. Don't treat the public like an idiot. I, I prefer one of two routes. Silence or being truthful and just saying... Yeah, we screwed it up. I mean, that's that's the two routes I I prefer. If you know, if you're just dead quiet on it, and you're not going to address it, you know that the officials I, screwed it up. Now, I would prefer this route, being transparent and just saying that's how they should treat it. Yeah, it was it was an error. Well, especially you if you're finding coaches for speaking out against the officials and the process. You know, uh, coaches now it, the one thing they're not going to answer post game is anything regarding offici- officiating for the most part especially in the professional leagues, uh, unless you're an NBA player and you can say anything you want practically. And but the but the coaches are never, never going to go that direction for fear of being fined immediately by the league or by the conference they're a part of. Unless you go too far in your comments about the officiating, uh, I think that any fine should be taken back if the league admits fault. If in the post game you say that was ridiculous – we all know what happened. This was wrong, and I hate it for our locker room, and you get fined for that. And then three days later, the league comes out and says, in and fact, says something. Yeah. you were spot on right. It was wrong, and that's why your team lost. That's how they lost in the end was because of a play like that. You shouldn't be fined for that. Now, if you get real personal and go above and beyond that, then, yeah, you, you should get fined even if the league admits fault. And if you're going to find them, at least speak out and have a, a directive from some overseer of all officiating for your conference yeah. or for your league. No have, doubt. have someone that's more vocal than just a statement that's released and no further comment uh, required. Well, that's why we love having Mike Pereira on the show and why he was so good at his job because he yeah. would talk about everything. He was awesome. And he's really good. He was good when he joined on the, on the Super Bowl for different rules, explanations. He's, he's terrific at that well. job. Was, was fantastic. And they got away from that. They want, they want mutes up in New York now, running all things NFL officiating. Um, Derek Jeter, not going to be mute when it comes to Major League Baseball. He's going to be a part of Fox's coverage of uh, MLB coverage starting this season. I can't wait for this. The same way I think it's great that Brady's joining. You get the goats. Yeah. You know, with Brady, we know, okay, he's going to be a part of the biggest game. You know, we, we know the role coming in. Baseball coverage is so uh, unique and the length of the season, the amount of games and everything, I, I'd like to know exactly how Jeter will be used and how often before I get overly excited about it. 
Bottom line, though, Derek Jeter on television talking baseball is a positive. So that's good. That's a good get for Fox. I just, you know, there's a lot of different things they can do with him. Is, is he going to eventually call a few games on the weekend or just studio work or just late season slash postseason work? You know, all those all those questions, all those things to be ironed out. But either way, good get for Fox. I mean, that's, yeah, that is the the base, that's the baseball guy to get, right, is Derek Jeter. If you can land him, and they got him, and Tom Brady was the football guy to get, and they landed him also. Jeter uh, reunited with A Rod. Yeah, <laughs> that great rivalry. That's actually, well, yeah, A Rod's a part of the co- the coverage. Is he still on Fox? He was a part of the announcement. Okay, I thought he was on ESPN. I thought he was doing that uh, side game with uh, uh, on ESPN this past year. I'd love to see some sort of bit where they come in and have a sit down. You know, start kick things off to to iron everything out. That'd be great. Yeah. So, would you rather? I see. I would rather have Jeter in the booth during a game. I would in, too. In real time, telling the audience what uh, just the 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 pace of the game, the flow of the game, the uh, inner workings, uh, dugout to dugout, at bats, uh, pitching tendencies that he's already picked up on from the booth. I want that more than I want the the studio coverage. Well, just Jeter. imagine a booth with um, uh, Joe Davis, John Smoltz. And Jeter. And Jeter. Right? Pitching legend, National League guy, the captain, yeah. American League guy, Braves, Yankees, South, North, play-by-play guy, discuss the game of baseball over the course of three and a half hours. Or in the case of the playoff games, four and a, four half, and a half hours. hours. And they're just talking <laughs> baseball. But that's, that's the way to make it enjoyable and meaningful. I, I would love that booth. Smoltz is so good on his own oh, he's doing those games that he, I don't think he needs help or you don't want to crowd him in that space, but that would be pretty cool to listen to over the course of a game. Coming up, John McClain will join us. We will discuss all things Super Bowl 57, Mahomes winning MVP for the second time, second Lombardi trophy for Mahomes and the Chiefs over their three years and appearing in the big game. We'll get to that. Quarterback movement, offensive and defensive coordinator hires, and more. So uh, Big Red in the YouTube chat brings up an interesting idea. He says there's a connection between Georgetown and Mike Bray as a possible landing spot with Patrick Ewing just being god-awful at his alma mater, that that may make sense. And there's where you finish your career. There you go. John McClain next on Outkick 360. The Raiders have officially released Derek Carr. The Colts and Cardinals have made their coaching hires. The Chiefs are champs. Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick Network. We welcome in John McClain, gallerysports.com. He's covered the league for nearly 50 years. John, welcome in. Hope you're well. Thanks for making me feel older. <laughs> it's the last thing it's we want to do, John. Actually, it's 52 years in the business, actually. And uh, I told people I'm at Astro Spring Training for 10 days. And when I talk to you guys next week, it'll be from the ballpark of the Palm Beaches in West Palm Beach. And I said, you remember the movie The Rookie about Jim Morris, the oldest rookie at 31? Well, I'm 71, and I feel like a rookie covering baseball for the first time in spring training. John's also a Pro Football Hall of Fame selector. We'll get his thoughts on the 2023 class coming up. John, first. 
Uh, Chiefs win it, and Mahomes with the ankle, uh, Andy Reid and the game plan that they put together at halftime and scoring on each possession to win it by three. Your overall thoughts of Kansas City's win and Philadelphia and the game they put together for Super Bowl 57, which I thought was great. I picked the wrong team to win by three, and I didn't know they would score that much. And I'm wondering how much the extra long halftime show helped Andy Reid because they were a different team in the second half, and Mahomes was a better quarterback. And I thought it was a gutsy performance by Mahomes, but man, oh, man, Andy Reid's creativeness, his play design, he's so innovative. You know, when you have a receiver, Kadarius Tony, one touchdown, Sky Moore, one touchdown, they covered five and four yards, that's all, but they were both wide open, and that's a credit to Andy Reid. You and I, maybe not uh, Chadillac, could have hit those guys that were so <laughs> wide open. And yes, Mahomes hit three touchdown passes, and it was it was a, a very gallant performance. And and Jalen Hurts was fantastic. But the re the reason the Chiefs won, I thought, is their offensive line, their running game, they outrushed the Eagles. They they did not let the league's best pass rush and the best pass rush since the '84 and '85 Bears. Touch Patrick Mahomes. He was pressured twice. So they had good run blocking. They had great pass protection. And then Andy Reid's play calling was set up to help Mahomes with his sore ankle before he aggravated it in this late in the second quarter, offset that rush. It was just brilliant coaching, brilliant execution. And, man, Philadelphia's defense was such a disappointment. Such disrespect from John. John, I was Mahomes before Mahomes on my fraternity flag football team a as big quarterback. Bad uh, very yeah, creative. I bet you were. They still at UT. They still talk about my creativity and arm <laughs> slots on my <laughs> touchdown passes back in the day at, 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 on the fraternity flag football team. Speaking of is Mahomes, there a, though, is there a Hall of Fame for flag football? Because if it is, I'd like to represent you. I'm first ballot. If it is, and you can present me for sure uh, to that Hall of Fame. But Mahomes is one day going to be a Hall of Famer. And, John, when you look at accomplishments by the age of 27, a lot of comparisons with Brady, and there's a lot of things to like about Mahomes. I'm not saying he's going to play till he's 45 to reach some of those, but what do you think about just his trajectory right now? And we talked about this last week. Before that game was played, the Chiefs were the odds-on favorite to win the Super Bowl the following year. You could rinse and repeat that now almost every year if Patrick Mahomes is healthy and playing quarterback for the Chiefs, what do you make of what he's already accomplished and what could possibly be down the road for him? I've got a column on the exact subject, Great Minds Think Alike, Chad Lack, on gallerysports.com. And um, they can be favored every year as long as Mahomes and Andy Reid are there. And, yes, Travis Kelsey's important, and he was great this season, but after early in the game, they did a good job of taking him out, which is one reason the other receivers got open so much. Mahomes, best player in the NFL, best quarterback. A lot of people are talking about, oh, Brady, he's going to catch Brady. I'm saying it breaks a minute. He's halfway to Bradshaw in Montana. When he hits equal with Bradshaw in Montana, four Super Bowls, then we'll start talking about Brady. And I think Brett Veach is a very unsung member of that organization, the general manager. And even though Andy Reid 
has final say on every personnel decision. He's not out there doing all the scouting. So they got a good personnel department. What they did without Tyreek Hill was amazing. He threw for 5,200 yards. He's the first quarterback to throw for 5,000 yards and win a Super Bowl. He's the first one to be the MVP and win a Super Bowl since Kurt Warner in 1999. And he hit the trifecta. You know, he had the MVP in the season, MVP in the Pro Bowl, and then he's got a Super Bowl ring. At his age, he's only one behind Brady. And one of the things that makes uh, Mahomes so impressive is the fact that it doesn't matter who the linemen are, who the running backs are, who the receivers are, he still wins. And uh, it's they're fun to watch. I've never seen a quarterback make as many plays as they call it, off schedule. And he's so creative with the way he plays. And, of course, he's mentally and physically tough. And Jalen Hurts, if they'd have pulled that game out, he'd have been the MVP because he accounted for four touchdowns, three rushing, two-point conversion, bunch of first downs, and other than one bad play in which his fumble was returned for a touchdown by Nick Bolton. You know, this game was lost by the Eagles' defense. You know, you blow a 10-point lead, at halftime, only the second time in Super Bowl history, a team has blown a double-digit lead at halftime, the other one, Atlanta, against New England. So they made history for the wrong reason. John, how does the NFL have a field that's that slick, slippery for the, the biggest game with 113 million people watching on John's average? John, I don't understand it. $800,000 they spent to install that after the uh, championship game. And the league's responsible for it, not the Chiefs, not the Arrowhead Stadium grounds crew, the NFL. And think about that, $800,000. And I think I heard somebody say they counted and there were 12 slips. They're lucky somebody didn't tear a hamstring or groin muscle because it was just embarrassing for the NFL. It was embarrassment for the Super Bowl. And I can't imagine they're gonna that they they're supposed to try those things out, and they if you don't if it's too slippery make sure they have the right cleats, but it's just boy it's egg on the face of the NFL. Fortunately, they had a great game, and people are talking more about the holding call on James Bradbury than they are the slippery field. But it was just ridiculous. And it's more than just the halftime show. You know that uh, Rappaport went on today and and said uh, with. With McAfee, I believe he went on and said, "Well, it was that you know the full scale halftime show covered more than just midfield." I'm like, "No, no, no, this was more." And to their credit, they responded the same way. This was more than just the second half of the Super Bowl. This was an issue from from the uh, some big moments in the first half as well. Ames slipped on a touchdown trying to celebrate. Celebrate, the end zone. yeah. The slippery end zone screwed up a touchdown celebration in the Super Bowl. How bad is that? John, what did you think about the the holding defensive holding call on Bradbury and, and when it happened? He'd been playing that way the whole game, and they let him get away with it. And so if they're going to call things like that, they need to do it early, let the players know, okay, we're not going to allow that, so don't do it anymore. And they'd been letting him get away with it. I would never have called it. It's very inconsistent. He admitted he grabbed him, but he didn't think they would call it because they had an early he owned up to it. I didn't like it at all. Thought it was a black mark on the game. But when you blow a 10-point halftime lead, you know, you don't deserve to win. Philadelphia didn't deserve to win that game, and their fans can 
whine all they want. By the way, Philly lost the MLS championship game, the World Series to the Astros in six, and now the Super Bowl. Man, oh, man, think about how depressing that must be. All within 100 days. Uh, John McClain with us, gallerysports.com, the website. You can follow him at McClain underscore on underscore NFL. If you're like Chad and I, we add more underscores to it just for fun. John, uh, the hirings are complete for head coaching jobs now. Shane Steichen is in Indianapolis. Jonathan Gannon's the new head coach in Arizona. Let's start with Indianapolis and Steichen, who is now going to be paired, it seems like, with a young quarterback. They pick fourth overall currently. And they go back to the Frank Reich coaching tree uh, because he was with Steichen when he was the OC out in, in L.A. with the Chargers and at some point, I believe, with maybe one two years in San Diego. And then Sirianni, of course, he followed Sirianni to Philadelphia when Reich was hired with the Colts. What do you make of the hire? Shane Steichen was interviewed by the Texans. It wouldn't bother me at all if they'd hired him. I didn't think they were going to get D'Amico Ryans. I thought he'd end up in Denver because they had the most money to offer. And uh, so he was very impressive. The fact he's been a coordinator for three years. Nick Zariani let him call plays. A lot of those offensive-oriented uh, head coaches don't let their coordinators call plays, and you can end up with a Nathaniel Hackett. So I think it's a really good hire. They're going to get either Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, or Will Levis, and the Texans are going to get another one, and the first one ahead of them, unless they trade up with the Bears, and that's going to be fun to keep an eye on. But the Texans liked him a lot when they had their interview, but then when D'Amico Ryans let them know, I want to come to Houston, I'm not interviewing with Carolina, I've canceled interviews with the Colts and the Cardinals. And by the way, that report by Ian Rappaport that the uh, that the Broncos made a late run at Ryan's and offered him more money is true. Despite how much they put it out with the media, it wasn't true. It was. And so I think that is a good hire. It's not good for the Titans and the Texans and the Jaguars because uh, if you get a quarterback up there, you guys know they have a lot of pieces into place when Jonathan Taylor's healthy and uh, they could be a force again. We know how much Ursay wanted Jeff Saturday. Is this Ursay realizing and having some common sense with this hire after the interim tag was removed from Saturday at the end of the season and not hiring him full-time? Or is this more about Chris Ballard having a big, bigger voice in the room than what we might have thought? They were never going to hire Jeff Saturday. They treat him with respect because they like him, respect him. He gave a lot to that organization. Jim Ursay is going to want to do what he wants. He's going to do what he wants to do. And Chris Ballard's along for the ride. Chris Ballard can say, no, we don't want to bring in Jeff Saturday from ESPN. And Jim Ursay's going to do it. And uh, so it was all media saying that they were going to hire Saturday. And they interviewed like everybody but the three of us. So I never thought he was getting hired. And I think it turned out really well for them. As far as Jonathan Gannon with the Cardinals, he interviewed here three times, twice two years ago, once this year. He was the favorite to get this job until D'Amico Ryans uh, interviewed and let them know Houston is where I want to be. It's my second home. I want to come home. He could have got more money from other jobs. He got a lot anyway. But uh, so Gannon did not get it. I'm happy for him because I remember the Texans were really pressed with him in every way. It's too bad he's got to go in with his defense playing as bad as it did, but it's still a great opportunity for him. 
John, going back to Jeff Saturday, I, I think the opposite. I think it's disrespectful to make me sit through three interviews, one of them possibly being 10, 12 hours long, if I never had a chance at, at getting the job. I'd rather just say, hey, thanks for being the interim. We love you. I'll always be a friend. And now you can go back to ESPN. What, what do you think he does next? Do you think that Jeff Saturday just goes back to media, or is there some different role for him with the Colts organization? A lot of times when you interview people, you have no intention of hiring them. You're picking their brain, and you want to know what they think about your team. The Texans had Cliff Kingsbury in here uh, over last weekend, and they were going to hire Bobby Slowick, passing game coordinator from the 49ers, as the coordinator, and they had made it official. So they had Kingsbury in there picking his brain about quarterback systems, about mobile quarterbacks, again, about small quarterbacks, and uh, and because there's a good chance they're going to have Bryce Young. And then they, uh, when he interviewed, then they went ahead and hired Bobby Slowick. And so a lot of those interviews are done with a purpose. I remember Greg Williams. One time, Greg Williams, when he was at Washington, he was a defensive coordinator under Joe Gibbs. Greg told me that the, that the, the general manager, the president, and Dan Snyder interviewed him for hours about everything involved in that team. And then, of course, they didn't hire him. They just wanted to know what he thought before they hired the guy they wanted. So I've never heard of a 12-hour interview. I'm hoping they had time in there for us to take a nap. John, uh, we we were discussing before you joined us that Derek Carr will be interviewing some teams, uh, not the other way around, because he's now going to have a month uh, ahead of any other free agent to go ahead and, and jump on the, the, the open market now with the Raiders releasing him. What do you make of Derek Carr as a free agent? How highly sought after? Will he be considering other options via trade or via draft? And where do you think he ends up? He will be highly hotly pursued by multiple teams that need quarterbacks that are not in a position to draft one of the top three. And are, do you guys believe Mike Vrabel and Rand Cawthorn are sold on Ryan Tannehill? No, I, I do not believe no. that. Well, if that's the case, then they need to call Derek Carr's agent because Derek threw for almost 5,000 yards two years ago. He's a great guy. He's been a great teammate, a hard worker, and then Josh McDaniels comes in with his system. It doesn't fit Carr, putting that old square peg in a round hole. So now Carr's out, and he's going to get a lot more than the $40 million he would have made on this contract. And I think the Jets, I think the Panthers, the Washington, Washington's got a great defense. The Commanders, they got a good running game. They just need a quarterback. And so there are a bunch of teams that want him, possibly the Titans. And I think that's why he wanted to be a free agent. He hadn't ruled out the Saints, the Buccaneers. Whoever signs Derek Carr, if they're from the NFC South, the worst division in the NFL, they immediately become the favorite. Atlanta, is Atlanta's Arthur Smith going to go with Desmond Ritter, his second-year quarterback, who's a third-round pick? Or is he going to look for a Derek Carr and let him come in and Ritter Develop. So there are options, and that's why you wanted to be a free agent. Him and Jimmy Garoppolo will be the two tops, but the difference is Carr has stayed healthy, and Garoppolo has not. And, boy, I'd be leery of investing big-time money in Jimmy G considering his injury history. How fast of a process do you think this is? I think they've already been working on it. It's illegal, of course. 
He was able to talk to the Saints, but you know his agent's been talking to other teams as well. And there could be a couple of teams we don't even know about that they're interested. Carr's 30 years old. You know, he's in great shape. He works out like crazy. He's a great teammate. He's a leader. His teammates love him. I watched every hard knocks when they were in there. And uh, I actually used to watch him when he's 12 years old, come to the Texans practices and throw the ball around while his brother David was the quarterback. And then he went to high school a year here, and people thought, this kid's got a chance. And, of course, he's a whole lot better than his brother David was. And so I think this is great for Carr and the team that gets him. If they make sure they got weapons around him, that's there. He could help somebody instantly become a playoff contender. John, in NFL Honors, we saw where the Pro Football Hall of Fame announced the class of 2023. Give us the Cliff Notes version of this year's class and what the selection process was like. Well, I was really bummed about Andre Johnson's second year of eligibility, made the cut from 15 to 10 and didn't make the cut to five. But this year, the, the, the log jam at wide receiver with Reggie Wayne, Torrey Hall, and Andre Johnson, everybody that spoke in our committee said all three of them deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. A couple people said, well, let's put them all in. Well, that's never going to happen. So none of them made it for the second year in a row. And in a couple of years, Larry Fitzgerald's coming up, and he's a lock. So I feel bad for all of those receivers. Somehow, I hope we can get it resolved. We were able to do that with Chris Carter, Tim Brown, and Andre Reed. It took a few years. And uh, the one I was most happy for was Chuck Alley. I presented him to the Seniors Committee and then to our Selection Committee. 50 years after he retired from the Cowboys, he's 86 with Alzheimer's. He had his name called. We don't know if uh, it registered, but it sure registered with his family. And I was there with Roger Staubach, Bob Lilly, and some of his former teammates came to his house and see if they could get through to him that he was in the Hall of Fame. So I was really happy for that. I'm always happy for everybody because it's such a big deal and it's an honor to be part of that process. Well, John, and I'm sure you probably saw the the comments, but uh, according to Deion Sanders talking to Peter King, the everybody is the problem. And he made comments about some of the people being thrown in there recently devalues uh, the Hall of Fame. And he said there should be an upper room of the Hall of Fame that you get elected to, that people like himself and others that are no-brainer, no-ballot Hall of Famers. And I, I forget the exact – the reference he made was, you're telling me that some of the guys that have gotten in are in the same breath as Lawrence Taylor. He said that's disrespectful to Lawrence Taylor. Lawrence Taylor should be in a different wing or a different room of the Hall of Fame from some of the people getting in. What did you think about Pro Football Hall of Famer Deion Sanders, Coach Prime's mm -hmm. comments about the upper room of the Hall of Fame? I thought that's one of the dumbest <laughs> things I've ever heard. Now, if we took into account cornerbacks that played the run, he wouldn't be in that upper <laughs> level, would he? That's he'd a, be up there because he's as good as cover corners as ever been. And he'd end, he's talking about to Peter King about the haters. Now, there's no haters in our room. It's amazing to me how many Hall of Famers or former players are clueless about our process. And, and he's one of them. And Peter asked him, well, who do you want to come out of there? Well, he didn't say. And we have information that others don't have. And, uh, and it's, it's supposed to stay in that room, and it usually does. And if you're reserving that upper level for players in the category of Lawrence Taylor, 
along with Reggie White and the two greatest defensive players I've ever seen, then there wouldn't be many in that upper level because they were in a class by themselves. And Dion wasn't as great as as, uh, as Lawrence Taylor was. Well, and I remember now the argument that he was making was the one player he brought up was Devin Hester. He said, how in the world is Devin Hester not in? And his criteria, John, was did they completely change the game when they played? And I think Peter King's counter was, well, can an offensive guard completely change the game? And he said, yes, Larry Allen changed the game for us. They changed how we called plays, running behind him and doing things like And then he brought up Devin Hester, that he completely changed the kickoff return game, and it's a crime that he's not in. And Peter King kept going back to saying, well, I vote for him, so you have to take that up with everyone else. But I vote for Devin Hester every time. I actually agree with you on that. That was the example he kept laying out there was, if Devin Hester's not in, then that's something wrong with the Hall of Fame. Your thoughts, John? <laughs> I guess he's never heard of White Shoes Johnson, one of the greatest return guys in history. There was some tremendous returners who played in the 60s and the 70s. But uh, Devin Hester's problem, I believe, is it just returners don't touch the ball that much. And he didn't play a position. He tried to. And, yes, he was a great kickoff returner, but do you put a special teams guy who played a little bit over guys that played all the time? And there he mentioned Larry Allen, who's one of the greatest offensive linemen in history, but there was a lot of offensive linemen that teams ran behind. Gene Eckerson from the Browns, who came out with his wheelchair being pushed by Jim Brown, Leroy Kelly, and Bobby Mitchell, three Hall of Fame running backs, because they used to run behind Gene Eckerson. So, uh, the game wasn't changed by Larry Allen. People have been running by and pulling guards and power, overpowering guards since the NFL, uh, probably since the 50s. Follow John on social at McLean underscore on underscore NFL. Check him out at gallerysports.com. John, thank you as always. We'll catch up again next week. Jonathan and Chadillac, thank you guys very much. I'll be with you at uh, from West Palm Beach, Florida next nice. week. Thank Love you. It. Love it. Great Love backdrop it. Right there. Where my Speedo? Chad will be very happy. I very don't different. want to scare people away from watching. Hey, I won't. John, I please find a backdrop that's wood paneled in the background there just to give us a little taste of home also. We'd, <laughs> we'd love to have home. that in West I'll Palm Beach. In- I'll be in my hotel room by the ballpark. I'll try to make it as bright as possible. Okay. You're the man, John. I knew you'd have a good response to Deion Sanders, too. So thank you for that. Thank you, guys. All right. Love having John a part of the show with us each Tuesday. Um, we've still got Cynthia Freeland coming up in about 15 minutes. Uh, plus Shane Beamer, head coach of the South Carolina Gamecocks, with us in hour number three. But coming up. So Valentine's Day today, there was a troll job done by uh, Juju Smith-Schuster against James Bradbury. And A.J. Brown has fired back, Chad, with a tweet I doubt he deletes. It's that good. It's, um, it's a good one. We we have that. It's a good one. Uh, how much the average couple will spend on Valentine's Day versus a poll that's out there on what your significant other may or may not want you to do. That and more. Straight ahead on Outkick 360. The poll out from WalletHub, 26% of Americans say they are not expecting their Valentine to spend anything on them this year. Only 9% say they expect them to shell out more than $100. More than $100? I mean, There's by the way, this is, not, this is not like a romantic dinner for $100. This is just a gift. A gift. I mean, my response to that is there's a lot of holidays out there. 
Eventually, yeah. you're going to run out of money. You know, a lot of Americans have a budget. They got uh, things to worry about. They got they got to keep the lights on in their house. They can't be shelling out a hundred dollars plus for every little holiday that's 30, out there. Thirty five percent under fifty bucks. Thirty percent said it's probably between fifty and a hundred. I mean, you can get to a hundred on flowers alone. Yeah, um, I would and, go under on my. You can go my under. You can you can stay under that. fifty by just going straight candy. My expenses will be under on the Valentine's Day expenses. Oh, so uh, Juju Smith-Schuster thought he was uh, winning Valentine's Day on this post, I guess, uh, with uh, James Bradbury, where they send out the memes of the Valentines. And it's a photo of his headshot. It just says, I'll hold you when it matters most. And it's a picture of James Bradbury. And Smith-Schuster said, Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. So... Chad, this has led to one of the best posts, and A.J. Brown is known for a very emotional posting when it comes to social. Yeah. This is fantastic, though, from the Eagles wide receiver. A.J. Brown says, first off, congratulations. Y'all deserve it. This is lame. You was on the way out the league before Mahomes resurrected your career (laughs) on your one-year deal, TikTok boy. (laughs) He admitted that he grabbed you, but don't act like you're like that or ever was, but congratulations again. That from A.J. Brown. I am thrilled uh, that I could read that. I was trying to read the wrong screen, by the way. I should have read the one in the back. That's a great response. A.J. Brown, who often tweets dumb things and has to delete it, that was one he should never delete. That, that was great. And here's what I hate about it. James Bradbury took the high road, and he didn't have to. Right, he could have right. bitched and complained about it, and talked right. about what John said, yeah. and said over and over. You know, the refs were inconsistent all game. I was I, feeling this out all I game. I did it all game. I was trying to see what were they going to call, and instead, he just came out and said, "Yeah, I mean, I grabbed him, and they called it." You know, and took the high road and uh, congratulated them, and for the winner of the Super Bowl to come back and do that. Come on, grow up. I'm all for a little bit of you know friendly trash talk if you feel like you've been violated in some way but when the game ends on that and you're the beneficiary and oh by the way you weren't going to come close to catching that touchdown in the end zone regardless then just take that as gratitude and be happy for it and thankful and move on and don't try to bury the guy on social media and thanks to aj brown for stating what many people were thinking about that that post well done aj Good uh, job, AJ. Cynthia Freeland's coming up in uh, just over five minutes, Chad. She would appreciate this next stat that you had on the number one teams in both college hoops and college football over the last 25 years. Yeah, this is courtesy of Saturdays Down South. This, this shocked me. Teams who have been ranked number one in both college football and college basketball over the past 25 years. This comes a day after Alabama reaches number one for the first time in, I think, 20 years. Obviously, they've been number one in football. But it's a select list of eight programs that can claim both. Alabama, Auburn, Florida, Tennessee from the SEC. Mm -hmm. Texas and Oklahoma from the soon-to-be SEC. And then Ohio State, Michigan. That's it. That's the list that in any one week has reached number one. This is not winning the national title in both. This is reaching number one in men's basketball and football at some point. In 25 years, and there's only eight programs that can claim that. And of the programs there, it doesn't feel like many of them are going away anytime soon. It's not like a flash-in-the-pan type run 
for Tennessee has been very consistent. Alabama is starting to reach their full potential. Auburn with Bruce Pearl, been there, done that, but number one overall, and they still have high expectations. Florida's the one that needs to work their way back, but Florida playing there is tough. Yeah, o- Oklahoma too. You know, they, they've um, been up and down under Porter Moser, who came over from Loyola, but they got a 24-point win over Alabama this year at home. Um, so they're, they're capable. And John, and, whenever, uh, whenever John Calipari ends up at Texas, who knows what happens. Yeah, exactly. What coach Cal can do for the Longhorns, they're going to be right back <laughs> in it. Uh, and Texas is really good this year too, but it's, yeah, it's, it's a, it's a select list. I was expecting more. I was expecting more teams to be on that list. Same. coming up, Cynthia Freeland will join us. And then Shane Beamer, head coach of the South Carolina Gamecocks, all that more straight ahead. Hour number three, outkick 360 across the outkick network rolls on. <laughs> 